0: Right. well, we are in Ruth chapter 4, finishing up the book of Ruth this morning. And as you read this narrative, it's just a few verses, really, but when you start to dig in, you realize that this story plays out better than any movie or novel or book out there. We're going to have tension and negotiations, discussions. We're going to talk about love and marriage and business and culture, and it's all going to come together at the same time. And remember that Boaz has left Ruth. They left the harvest floor there. Ruth went back to the house, talking with Naomi, shared with a story of what was going on, and Boaz had told Ruth, I got it from here. I got to take care of this. The marriage proposal had been set last week, and Boaz now has to go and have a discussion with a Redeemer that is closer than him. Remember, we've been discussing this Redemption and bringing back the family and the land. Restoring the family of Elimelech who had passed away all the way back in chapter 1. And now we have Naomi who thought she was cursed of God on pins and needles with Ruth there in the house just waiting for what we're going to see today in chapter 4 play out. So let's begin with a word of prayer and we're going to read the first couple of verses. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that you are our redeemer. And as we learn about this family and we learn more about you, Lord, we pray that we would find application for us, the message that you have for us this morning. And we pray that you would continue to speak to us as you share these things with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter four, verses one and two. Now, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Now, to, to us, this doesn't make any sense in this culture. For us today, we don't know really what's happening. So let's build a little bit of background here. First, the city gates where all the people would come and go, is like the courthouse and it's the marketplace and the city hall all at once. And so the city elders would sit around there and this is where the big business deals would be, where the real estate would be bought and sold, where the marriages are going to be decided, where they're going to decide whether to go to war or not. All these things, these very important, serious things happen there. Now remember, Boaz just left the harvest. Did he go and shower? Did he go get dressed? Did he go straight down there? Remember, they woke up that morning back in chapter 3 before the sun had even come up and had that discussion. And it's not really told here in the scripture, but I, I envision him going straight down there. Now, what is he thinking? We know from last week, Boaz really loves Ruth. He wants her. He's been thinking about this for months. Remember in the text, it was the wheat harvest and the barley harvest. They had been spending time together. They had been eating together. They had been watching each other. And finally, last week, we saw that proposal. Hey, you need to carry me, cover me under your wing. Remember that? Shelter me under your wing. I want you to bring me into the family. And Boaz said, well, you know what? I never thought about that. No. He said, yes, thank you for asking me, an old man, But there's somebody nearer than me who has the right to do it. He had already been thinking about it, already been planning it, and now he's going to execute that plan. Imagine the tension that Boaz has in his mind. He has not read the book of Ruth. He doesn't know how this is going to play out. He doesn't know how this deal is going to happen. And now he has to go down to the city gates in front of all the elders, and he's there first, waiting. Now, how do we know that the city gate thing is important. Now, the Scripture talks about it a lot. And for ladies here, in Proverbs chapter 31, a chapter that is held over your head all the time about how you're supposed to act all the time, well, there's something in there for the husbands too. In Proverbs 31, 23, it says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Now that we understand that that culture a little bit, that context we can kind of see how important this situation is. I told you, it's better than any movie. I mean, this is the serious guys. This is the top-notch guys. These are the elders, the leaders, the the mayor, the city council, all the lawyers, they're all there. And Boaz is waiting for this guy. Now notice, Boaz, he's a sharp guy. He's a businessman. He's got his own fields. He's got his own property. And he is going to be just for lack of a better term, because I'm not that smart, he's at the poker table now. He's bluffing. He doesn't have that many good cards in his hand. But one of his business strategies here is surprise the guy. Don't let him have time to think about this. And we're going to see some context here because they're going to be speaking specifically from Deuteronomy chapter 25. Remember, this is a business legal Decision all wrapped in one. But Boaz doesn't care about the actual business side. What does he want? He wants the girl. That's going to come in later. This is going to be coming in later. So what is this, the law that they're speaking of? What's going to go down here? In Deuteronomy chapter 25, there's five verses, verses 5 through 10. If brothers dwell together, it says, and one of them dies and has no son. The widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son, which she bears, will succeed excuse me, succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Verse 7. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Verse 8, then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, read this, it's getting kind of get tough here, verse 9, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot spit in his face don't see that in the courthouse very often and answer and say to him so shall it be done to the man who does not who will not build up his brother's house and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal removed ooh that's tough that's tough now boaz has to get this guy boaz has to get this guy to agree to allow that to happen to him when we put it in his context, it's not so clear-cut, is it? Boaz is sitting there like, oh, gosh, I've got to get this guy to agree to allow a lady to spit in his face. Oh, man, I've got to get this guy to agree to go against our entire culture. Now, the good news is the bad news. This is the time of the judges. Remember, where every man does what is right in their own eye, they don't always apply The scriptures fully to their fullest extent they kind of just do what they want when they want to do it when it's expedient for them that means what they when it works out in their favor they like to follow the law generally speaking when they don't like it you know like the year of jubilee yeah, yeah 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 that whole resetting the debts i actually want to get paid we'll ignore that one remember that one because that leads to their eventual captivity because they never kept the year of jubilee but now i want you to envision boaz sitting there by the gates is that him? No, that's not him. Is that him? No, that's not him either. And, and is he stoic? Can they see it on his face? Does he have, quote-unquote, the poker face going, where he's hiding all his emotions but nobody knows? Or is, it kinda, is he kind of twitching a little bit? Is he nervous? This is interesting. There's principles here for us. There's application. Because as Christians, American Christians, when we think about a Christian man... What do you think about do you think about a sharp strong stoic business person who's willing to make tough decisions in critical moments that's not really what's implied in christian american culture is it Now, i'm not going to go into the negative things that christian culture tells us that our men need to be i'm I'm really trying not to (laughs) see me struggling we're going to focus on what the bible says here and what do we see boaz is willing to do this for for his wife, for his future bride. He's willing to do these things, to get up early, to stand in front of the elders, to fight and negotiate and struggle for those that he loves. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that if you abandon your household, men, you are worse than a non-believer. That's what the scripture says. If you abandon your household, you are worse than a non-believer. Woo. What is the destination of the non believer? See, the Bible talks about our households and our marriages in the highest of terms, something that is to be fought for, struggled for, to wake up, and to earn every single day. And it's empowered by Christ and His Holy Spirit. These are important, important principles. Now, I want to point out some things in the context here of the actual scripture. Remember, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I just read the people that are. It says here, come aside, friend. It's inferred in the scripture that Boaz knows him personally and he knows his name. But the scripture will not record who he is. He is going to rename nameless. That's gonna, I believe that's going to come in here in a little bit as the negotiation goes forward. So we, he sees the guy. He says, come on, sit over here. Oh, hey, Boaz, what's going on? Hey, I got to talk something, some business with you. Oh, okay, what's going on here? And then Boaz is like, 10 elders. Snap's like, are they ready to go? Has he set this up? All of a sudden, 10 elders show up. So we got the 10 elders, we got the other redeemer, and we got Boaz here, and it's about to kick off. Now let's read verses three and four. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. What has just happened here? Boaz takes all his chips and puts it in the middle of the table. (sighs) There is a good piece of property that is in our family. Naomi, Elimelech's wife, who's in our family, in our tribe, passed away. Elimelech passed away. Naomi was so broke, she sold the family property off. You have the ability to redeem it. I just wanted to let you know that you can do this, and you will, re- you will get the whole property. And what does the dude say? I will redeem it. You want to talk about ice-cold veins. Boaz is sitting there saying, we have a re- very valuable piece of property. Incom- this is an agrarian society. The more fields you have, the more crop you have, the more crop you have, the more money you have, period. And he's saying, I've got a valuable piece of property for free. All you have to do is buy it at a bankrupt rate, and you can have it. The guy says, I am in. What are you doing, Boaz? What are you doing? You've lost. He hears those words. He has lost. The guy says, I'm going to do it. But Boaz is doing this on purpose. And I want you guys to see something here because now we're going to apply the spiritual to us. One, Boaz does not care about the financially most valuable part of this deal. He doesn't care about the field. He doesn't care about the business. He cares about Ruth. He wants Ruth he already has fields. He already is successful. He does not care about it. But that's all anybody else cares about. All they want is the money. Give me the money. Gentlemen, is your wife more important than all the money? Is your wife more important than the business? Are you willing to risk your whole business to keep your wife? Now, that's tough. That's tough because some of the guys around here are saying, well, maybe. Maybe. Now, some of them are saying, yeah, uh, I'll go. It doesn't matter to me. I don't even like the business. They could have it. <laughs> Just depends on what hour of the day you're asking them. But here they are in front, and it seems like everything is going against them. Now, the Redeemer, we're going to see he's got different priorities. Now, Bible commentators will point out, why 10 elders? There could be as many as 70 elders. Why did the Bible say 10? Why does the Bible not name the Redeemer? Why does the Lord want to share this story with us? There are millions, literally millions of love stories out there. Why this one? I'm just wetting your appetite for a little bit later here. But now we have in verse 5, Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess. The wife of the dead to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention that if you get this property from Naomi, you have to marry Ruth, the Moabitess. By the way, just want to make sure everybody knows. We're going to put their capital M. You yeah. got. Non Jewish person from outside, and you have to have relations and you have to have more children with her. I forgot to mention that part. Dang it. I'm so sorry. I, it slipped my mind. Now remember, this is the only thing Boaz cares about. But he's playing the game. Now the guy's going to have immediate second thoughts. Well, wait a minute. He probably has a wife at home right now, he probably has his own kids. He's got his own situation. Suddenly, the property is not so valuable. See, and that's what I want to talk about. The person in this story that is not from the nation of Israel, the person in this story that is from outside of the tribe, the person from this story for whom the Bible said a thousand generations could not, a hundred generations could not enter into the tabernacle, could not enter into the presence of God, is the one that is going to be redeemed. Boaz wants to forsake all of it to redeem Ruth. And that's what our Lord does for us. He forsakes the whole world. He forsakes everything. The Bible scholars point out that they picked ten witnesses And it was a witness that the law, the Ten Commandments, could not redeem us. It's just a silent witness. The the law can lead no man to Christ. It's just a schoolmaster that shows us our need for a redeemer. That the Old Testament law, the Old Testament covenant, could not redeem us. All of the working of the land could not redeem Ruth. No, a Redeemer had to come who loved us more than any other. Who forsake all. What is the man's response? Is the man, the nameless man, going to take up Ruth and spoil the whole book? Now, mind you, we have the whole Bible. Many of us have here have been through this story. We know how it ends. But let's Rewind the tape, for us '80s and '90s children here. Rewind the VHS all the way back. Let's pretend we don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen. What is what is online here? What is the importance of this discussion right now? Well, number one, it'll separate Ruth and Boaz. Then they won't have any children. We won't have a David. And we won't have that which comes from King David's line. Our Lord himself, this is the genealogy of God at stake. This is the redemption story at stake. It's all online here. And most importantly for Boaz, he loves this woman so much. What is he going to do if it falls through? Now, we can kind of chuckle because we're like, well, we already know the answer. God's will is going to be done no matter what. And because God's will is going to be done no matter what, he shouldn't worry about it. Right? Isn't that what we're thinking here? Well, can we not apply that to our own life? You're in a panic over a job interview. You're, over, you're in a panic over a court case. You're in a panic over your business. You're freaking out. You're having anxiety issues over these incidents. God already knows the answer. He already is going to has the final solution. It's already written in his book. He knows what's going to happen. He will never leave you nor forsake you. All things work to the good for those that love him. Promise after promise after promise. He's not going to rewrite his book. So why are we so anxious? Why are we so upset? Why are we so nervous? God's will will be done. Do you trust him? Do you try? We kind of scoffed in our mind at Boaz, like, come on, the lineage of God is, that's ironclad. You can't mess with that. Our future with the Lord is history in advance. He already knows. So be still and know that he is God. We get to be like Ruth at home. We get to be like Ruth at home. What, Jesus, what does Jesus say? He's going to come back for us. He's going to come back for us. He's going to take the church home. We're going to be in the millennial kingdom. We're going to rule and reign with him. Trust Him. Trust your Boaz, your Redeemer. He's going to do the work. It's going to work out. What does He ask us to do? Occupy until He comes. There is nothing better. This is just me. I'm a quirky guy. I'm weird. There is nothing better to coming home and my house is clean. Now, I just got to do a better job of actually admitting it and saying it, you know, kind, affirming words. Nothing better than coming home. Man, all this stuff was done while I was gone. What about, what about the Lord? He's going to come back for his bride. He wants to see us. How does he want to find us? Lord, look what we've been doing for you. Now, the joke's on us because apart from him, we can do nothing, right? So he's actually doing it through us anyway. But are we yielding to him working in the family of God? Are we yielding to him? Are we doing the work? Or are we just sitting at home pacing, wait till he gets home. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. <laughs> Some of us are walking our Christian walks that way. Some of us are waiting for our Lord to come back in the same way. What is the answer here? Now, let's go back, verses 6 through 8, to the text. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. Shucks. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, so he took off his sandal. What did he say? I can't do it. Oh, man, it's too bad. I can't do it. Yeah, Moabites? I don't think so. You know what my wife will say? I bring home this foreigner. Yeah. Yeah, guess what I did in town today? I don't think that was going to work out well. Now, in that culture, polygamy is not that unheard of. So he could have brought in another, home, another wife. He should have been like, yeah, I'm just redeeming the law. I'm doing what the, honey, there's nothing I can do. God told me to. I got to redeem this situation. Now, he's smarter than that. He's smarter than that. No, I can't. I will ruin my inheritance. What else could that mean? Because we really don't know. It could mean he already has a wife. He already has sons. And could you imagine going to your firstborn son in that culture? You've been doing in the family business for years. You've been learning the family business. The family business is going to be passed on to you and then your son and your son. And then all of a sudden, you bring home this other woman. And you say, yeah, I've got to have more kids, and we're going to split up the inheritance a little bit more. Thanksgiving, a little bit more difficult now. <laughs> now, Boaz knows all of this. Why didn't he just start the conversation that way? Because he's smart. He's smart. He knew that the only thing the guy would be after is the field. He also knew the guy wouldn't probably want to ruin his own family life to bring some Moabitis in because nobody wants to be associated with the Moabitess except for Boaz because he loves her. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. He loves her so much he wants to redeem her. He wants to bring her in. And so possibly the the, uh, closer kinsman, I don't want to ruin that. I don't want my Thanksgivings to go bad. I don't care how much money's in it. You go ahead and do it. Now, remember the original context from Deuteronomy chapter 25. What does the law say? This guy's saying, I'm not going to redeem it. That means they are within their legal rights to have Naomi come out, take a sandal, spit in his face. That's what the scripture says there, Deuteronomy chapter 25. And he would be a byword to the entire nation, someone who doesn't want to redeem it. Boaz could have the ultimate gloating party here. He could just be like, booyah, come, Naomi, come on up here. No, 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 not this man. He's a man of class, man of business. He, his name is known in the gates. He's a strong man, a wise man. His name literally means strong man, the strong one. And so they're going to have no insult here, no injury. They're not going to execute the full letter of the law. So they sit together, and now is the time to seal the deal, to make this happen. There will be no more negotiation after this. There will be no more risk. Ruth will be 100% Boaz. Oh, yeah, and some property comes with it, but who cares about that? There are those of us, though, maybe even here this morning, who have not accepted your Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and you have taken off your sandal and you have spit in the face of the Lord and said, no, I don't need to be redeemed. No, I don't want to be purchased. Jesus purchases us with his blood by giving himself as a, living, as a sacrifice, dead and then resurrected. And there are many people today who are making the decision to pass it over. To say, no, I don't want it. Of course, in our, our old buddy up there in Oregon, he wrote, Today, if you have not acknowledged Jesus as your Redeemer, you too have taken off his shoe. You have spat in the face of the one who died for you and wants to live inside you. Your rejection of him is the greatest insult that could ever take place. It's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is the one sin which is eternally unforgivable. The only unforgivable sin is not allowing, is not receiving the forgiveness of God. Rejecting Him. Saying, I don't don't want any of it. And you won't receive His inheritance. You won't receive His rewards. When you realize that we too are a Moabitist, we who were dead in our trespasses and sins. We who were enemies of God. That He descended the throne room of God. Inhabited a life born of a virgin, entered this world to make a way of our salvation, and then we said, no thanks, I'm good. No thanks. I'll do this on my own. Incredible. We see, not only is Boaz going to get Ruth, he's going to get the bonus property, the only thing that everyone was after. But do you realize that the same thing is true for Jesus? The only thing he gets from us is us. What a bum deal. What a bum deal. Not only does he just get us, sinful, who continually turn against him, continually backbite against him, continually reject him, continually wrestling against the flesh, betraying him constantly, struggling, not understanding him, not listening to him. He still loves us. (coughs) He gives us his inheritance. What is Ruth? Ruth is going to go, listen to this. Ruth is going to go from I have to pick seeds out of the ground on my hands and knees for survival to I am going to be in a family with property, with business, with employees, with prosperity because this guy loves me. That's it. That's it. I'm going to get all this stuff because this guy loves me. He could have let me go. He could have had an easy out. Listen, it's the time of the judges. He could have taken her. Had his way with her and dumped her off at the city gates himself. And no one would have thought anything of it. She's a Moabitist, who cares? But he wants to redeem her and marry her and have his name associated with her. The same thing is true of us with our Lord Jesus Christ. We are his bride. He has done the same for us, and we have a great inheritance in Him. In Colossians 1, verse 10, it says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. This is the part I want you to see. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have all these things in him, all these things in our relationship with him, and he's freely given it to us. And we definitely don't deserve it. We deserve to be outcast, dropped off, in the alley, but no, he restores us and brings us into his glorious light. Now, let's see the transaction and what happens in verses nine through 12. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead throughout, through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were there, excuse me, who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord you will give from you which the Lord will give you from this woman we are witnesses now speaking of sealing the deal there are some people who feel like you don't have to get married you can be married quote in God's eyes no you cannot Now, if you're on a desert island by yourself, living there for 50 years, and you say, well, there's only two of us, how would we be married then? If you're in that situation, you can come and make a case. Until that time, you cannot contradict God in trying to say that something is of God. You cannot contradict God in trying to say that something is of God. I have heard every excuse under the sun why you don't need to have the government tell you that you're married, why you don't need just, quote, a piece of paper? Well, first and foremost, if you think it is just a piece of paper, then why don't you get it? This is supposed to be done at the city gates with witnesses. It needs to be sealed. It needs to be a contract. It's, It's unfortunate that it's so easy to get out of it to begin with. But if you're already trying to get out of it to start... You're in trouble. Boaz is willing to risk everything to have her. He is willing to, to risk his name. He's willing to risk his posterity. He's willing to risk his standing in the gates because he loves her. And I will be forever grateful with Mr. Murray Lester, who passed away, so I can name him now, who confronted me in his place of business when he found out that I was living with my girlfriend at the time and said, You know what? My daughter says I'm not allowed to say this to you. And then he immediately confronted me as how I could be living with a woman, say that I care about her, and not actually marry her. And he was a non believer. And I was a believer. I am forever grateful that he called me out. Listen, you got to seal the deal. What does the scripture say? Hebrews thirteen four. marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Well, that's spicy. Marriage is honorable among all. What are you doing if you're not married? What are, you, what are you doing if you're just, oh, you know, this is my bride? You know, God knows that you're a filthy sinner. That's what he knows. <laughs> Don't play that game. What does Bible tell us in Proverbs 18? He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And you know what's interesting that the Scripture says it this way? Because 99 times out of 100, it's the male's reason. The male is the reason why they're not married. And if you asked her, like, hey, would you rather be married? Oh, yeah, she would. But the guy's holding off because you're a coward. Stop being a coward. You're supposed to be willing to lay down your life for this woman, but you want to share the bed and then not put a ring on. You want to not get married. You are a coward. Stop it. Go down to the courthouse, get married. We'll marry you right now. Go get that certificate, seal the deal. I just find it fascinating that Boaz does everything in his mind, everything in his power. He's negotiating. He's been waiting. He's got a good reputation. He hasn't taken advantage of her. He's done things to the family. He's done things to the elders. He did everything right and above board, and it's finally come together. And even at the end, it might have fallen apart. How joyous you think that wedding ceremony was. What kind of celebration do you think that Boaz had at that marriage? Do you have to hide your wedding, or is your wedding going to be broadcast to the whole world to see? I hid mine. I praise God that I have a redeemer. His marriage to me, when God declared me on the cross, it is finished. And he took the shame of the whole world on himself to redeem me. He didn't hide me. He didn't have a secret contract with me. He sealed my marriage to him with his blood, with his life. And if you call yourself a Christian, you're to do the same. And now it's time for the real work to be done. Boaz goes home with his bride. And what happens now? Verses 13 through 16. End of the story? No way. It's just picking up. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, for you younger folks, I'll explain what that means later, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. Oh, I bet you he will. (laughs) And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in on her bosom and became a nurse to him. I bet you grandma was so happy. What's 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 that house gonna be like now? I still want to taint this with reality. She's been married before. She's had a husband before. I'm sure she loved him deeply. Listen, we live in a real world. We have a real God with a real word, word a real Bible for real problems for real lives. If you've been divorced, if you're a widow here, there is a hope and a future for you. God has plans for you, and there are good and not of evil. Now, you may suffer. You may have difficulty in life, but all things work together for the good for those that love him. Here you have in the first chapter, this whole book started in death and loss and backsliding away from God. And it ends with redemption. It ends with a Boaz, a strong pillar, strong man, redeeming his bride. And here, Naomi, who called herself Mara, forsaken one, is the happiest person in the whole book. She's not even the one that got married, she's still a widow. She's still a widow. In the South, Southern California, we say, she's stoked. She is stoked. You think about what that means? She is stoked like you stoke a fire. She is on fire. She is excited, beyond thrilled to have this child. And it is so easy for me to just close out this chapter, but I want to point out a couple of different things. Boaz does everything right, he's taking care of his wife, he's taking care of his family, he's taking care of his business. And there's too many bad, bad examples for men in 21st century American Christianity. What does the Bible say in First Timothy chapter 3? If you want to be a leader, a bishop, a servant, an overseer, then it says in First Timothy 3, he must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. This, I, I couldn't help myself, I'm just going to put this whole weak, crying, sensitive, emotional Christian man doesn't exist in the Bible. Jesus and Boaz and Paul, there are our examples. Doesn't mean that you have to be a machine, no, but it means that you are to be all these things. And if you can't rule your home well, if you can't manage your own home well, you start there, man. Don't even go anywhere else. Go fix it. Don't be a coward. And now verses 17 to 22. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they call his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. It is so easy for me to just like, okay, let's just close in prayer right here. We're done. Because it's just a bunch of names to us, but not to Jesus is not. Because Jesus is the son of David, who's the son of Obed who comes from this lineage of a Moabitess. All of it is speaking of Jesus. In Romans chapter 1, verse 3, it says, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And if we don't think this is important enough, what does Jesus himself say? In Revelation chapter 22, at the end of the book, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. That's how he identifies himself. It's, an, it's identifying with his humanity that this story, Jesus is applying himself. He chose this family. All of us here, we didn't choose our family. Every Thanksgiving, you're looking at yourself like, Lord, Why? Jesus never did that. He says, I chose every single one of you in this lineage, and every single one of you is an example of my humanity that I put on to redeem the world. This whole story was chosen by God to show us his love for you. And my prayer is that if you came into this four weeks ago, five weeks ago, and you identified with the first chapter of backsliding and depression, of loss, Brokenness, questioning God, that you leave now on this last chapter, this last word, realizing that God does have a plan and a purpose and all things will work out for the good, that even if you call yourself cursed in one moment, if you follow him, you will be exclaiming his blessings in another. Remember our southern saying, you'll be stoked. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you. For what you have done, are doing, and will do. We pray that you would continue to use us and change us. That we would occupy until your glorious return when you take us home. We pray that you use us now to share this message of hope, of redemption to the world. We pray that we would be completely given over to you as a living sacrifice. We thank you for your love and for your strength. For your mercy and your example, Lord. We pray what John the Baptist prayed, more of you and less of ourselves. Let your will be done, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, come on up. We'd love to pray with you, share a few things with you. We have some things to give you. God bless you, and have a wonderful week.